Welcome to the Hogan Mystique, where we explore inspirational stories that embody the strength and resilience of Mr. Hogan. I'm Ben Hogan Foundation CEO Judd Pritchard, and my co-host is Director of Operations Josie Gregory Stankiewicz. Today's guest is World Series champ Claude Osteen, whose mental approach on the mound led him to unimaginable victory. Okay, welcome to the uh, Hogan Mystique podcast now. Uh, we have our guest today is uh, former Major League great, Los Angeles Dodger, Washington Senator, there's a whole list of teams we can name, but uh, Texas Ranger baseball uh, pitching coach, um, and we'll fill in the rest. But Claude Osteen, Claude, thanks for being here with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. We start every podcast off with the same icebreaker question. Um, so what's keeping you up at night, Claude? Well, I think it might be two things uh, that I can think of offhand. Uh, I have three schnauzers. <laughs> and one of them is my dog. Uh, she tracks every step I make and everything. And I usually have to get up with her and take her outside about one o'clock every every night. And the second thing is my golf game. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm thinking all the time about my swing, what I want to do different, what I could do different, and. Uh, in between all that, I get some sleep. <laughs> That's good. So um, as a pitcher, I know that, you know, you have the stories of the pitchers going on the road and playing golf. Did you uh, play golf when you when you pitched or, or was that a thing then or? I'm guilty. Good. good. I'm guilty. Yes, uh, that was one of the enjoyable things of being a starting pitcher, uh, especially when I was at L.A. Uh, I had uh, Don Sutton there as a teammate and he was a good golfer and so we uh just about every city that uh that we played in we played the courses there that's great except on the day that obviously you're going to pitch right but we kind of had it set up where uh we would have two days where we could do that because neither of us were pitching and uh so we got to see a lot of great courses and meet a lot of great people. So when did you start playing golf? What, what did, when you got into baseball, when you got in the major leagues, or did you play as I a kid? I, I started trying to play when I was in high school. Okay. And uh, even to this day, I think about how good I could have been if I had had some lessons then mm -hmm. instead of doing it on my own mm -hmm. because uh, – I think the grip is the biggest part of the success that you have. And of course, I tried a hundred of them and I'm still trying. <laughs> <laughs> so you grew up in, I'm going to say this right, Caney Spring, Tennessee. Is that right? That's correct. What, what kind of town is Caney Spring? Caney Spring was a very small farming community. My dad ran a merchandise store there. He had a little bit of everything for the farmers. Mm -hmm. And there was a store across the street, and that was the two stores in Caney Springs. And uh, he uh, gave uh, me the keys to the truck to deliver fertilizer to all the farmers. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I pulled the truck into the barns of these farmers and they'd say, well, you can't get in here. And I, I can't always uh, say, well, watch me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I made a way to get 
fertilizer unloaded. And I think that uh, looking back on it uh, helped build some strength in me. And, and of course, uh, I never got caught because they didn't have my driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you then? How old now? No. How old were you then? Oh, then? Oh, I was about 15. 15. So your dad was also a pitcher, is that correct? He was an amateur pitcher. Yeah. And uh, at one time, we uh, had a team of almost all Osteens. I had several first cousins. Seven, and, uh, right? On one side of my dad's uh, brother's family, uh, he had four boys. And the other uncle had three boys, so they all played baseball. Mm -hmm. So we had seven out of nine to to make a team. Wow. A couple of them played pro for a short period of time. And uh, they tried to make it until I could play. Mm -hmm. But at that time, I was relegated to selling cold drink out of the back end of my dad's truck. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I know that now if you were a pitcher, there's scouts and there's an internet and there's all these ways to get discovered. How, how in, a, in a two store town like Caney Spring, how do, how do the, uh, I guess the Reds drafted you, correct? Uh, they drafted right out of high school and how do they find you from, from there? Well, believe it or not, I was around long enough uh, back then to, uh, that there was no draft. Okay. You had your choice of, of playing whoever wanted you. Okay. And there were a lot of scouts. That's one thing that was common. But uh, the way I got started, I guess because of my dad uh, having the team, mm -hmm. I was around all my cousins all the time. And we played a lot of baseball in the, the uh, lots on the farms and everything. Uh, sometimes we'd use a dried up cow pasture <laughs> as a base mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we had a lot of fun doing it but uh, my cousins uh, played on some pretty good teams and I was always with them when they did that and I started developing a pretty good curveball mm -hmm. and following them and I would uh, be back behind the, the grandstands uh, playing catch with another kid while the game was going on. Mm -hmm. And I had as many people watching me as they did watching the game mm -hmm. because uh, I had a curveball that I didn't think anybody could hit. Mm -hmm. And uh, it wasn't until that was proved different when I got into the pros. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you are to this day still one of the best high school pitchers in history of Tennessee. Um, you, as a senior, um, you guys won the Ohio title, is that yes. correct? And I looked up some stats and it said that you, as a senior, were 23 and one, you had 16 wins, zero losses. Your senior year ERA was point zero, sorry, 0 0.13. You pitched 104 innings. You had 220 strikeouts. And that was all in your senior year. So how much time between you selling drinks behind the field to making these record um, stats and having this incredible year, 
How quickly did you develop into that picture? Well, it was uh, funny that uh, that was a wonderful year. I mean, uh, to this day, those records still stand at the high school, mm -hmm. and I don't know if they'll ever be broken. But but uh, I had a coach, a baseball coach that was a Dodger scout, and uh, they called them bird dog scouts back then. And they had a boss that they had to answer to, a supervisor and so forth. And uh, him being a Dodger scout, that got the Dodgers interested in, in me. And so I had scouts following me throughout that high school senior year. Mm -hmm. And uh, the problem was is that at that time, the major leagues had what they called a uh, – bonus rule, which had been put in because they felt that bonuses were getting out of hand. Guys were getting 50000 to sign, 60000 I think there was one guy that got a 100000 bonus, a guy named Paul Pettit. Mm -hmm. And uh, they didn't like that at all. The owners didn't. So they put a rule in where if you receive more than $4,000 to sign, you were classified as a bonus ball player. And what they did is they penalized the clubs that did that by making that signee uh, had to spend two years on the major league roster. And those Straight away? And those spots are very valuable. Right, mm -hmm. right. <laughs> and uh, so you tried to find a way to get around that Mm -hmm. And uh, I had the opportunity to uh, to sign with several clubs, obviously, when uh, all of them were watching me. And uh, I had clubs that wanted me to, to go to college for like one or two years, and they'd guarantee me because they, they knew the bonus rule was going to go off. And uh, anyway... Uh, I managed to uh, to sign with the Reds, mm -hmm. and uh, I got the four thousand mm -hmm. dollars, and I made them, or I didn't make them. They they gave me uh, a contract for the next year, making six thousand wow. dollars, which was at that time the major league minimum. Wow. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got. I got around the rule, mm -hmm. and of course it was a oral agreement. You had no contract because it was legal mm -hmm. yeah. if you did. And I trusted them, and they they made it good. I think there was a key point in uh, in that year when I signed. Uh, I was pitching in the Ohio State uh, high school all-star game at Columbus Jet Stadiums, which was a longtime Yankee farm club. Okay. And uh, pitching in that game, uh, I struck out 15 guys, I think, something like that, and hit a home run. And up until that time, all the clubs were offering me a AAA contract and not a major league contract. 
And they were all offering the same amount of money, obviously. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I when I uh, struck out 15 guys and hit the home run, the Reds, Cincinnati Reds, gave me a major league contract. Mm -hmm. And I look back on it now, and it was, a, I think, a turning point in my career because it was important to to be on a major league roster at that time. Because mm -hmm. right. you had three options. That you could be sent down and so forth. Mm -hmm. So uh, in my entire career, I could say that uh, – I earned at least the minimum major league salary. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is amazing to me um, how different it was pre, I guess, Kurt Flood, right? And then post-Kurt Flood. And, and that was kind of towards the end of your career, right? With Kurt Flood, it was in the 70s. Is that when that case At happened? the beginning of my career, for a short period of time, Kurt Flood was on the Reds. Oh, really? Okay. So you knew him. Yes. Okay. So I, I knew exactly what was going on mm -hmm. and uh, – of course, got to see it progress and change year after year. And I guess we could argue whether that's good or bad for baseball. I guess it's you know it, it certainly gave the players more leverage and 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 things. You know what that does to the the fabric of the game. I don't know, but yeah. but well, I, well, at that time they they had no freedom whatsoever. Right. It, it was uh, just you take what we offer or you, you don't play. Sure. Sure. Well, the owners like that, I'm sure. So oh, they, they loved it. <laughs> so, so you start with the Reds, and how long did you pitch for them? Actually, I was in the organization about three years. Uh, I was uh, sent down each time. Uh, I always got recalled at the end of the year, like they still do now. But uh, once you go down three times, now that. Thereafter, you're you're frozen as far as the the uh, the options are concerned. Mm -hmm. So you're gonna you either make the major leagues right there, they decide to keep you, or you're eligible for the draft. Okay, and major league clubs can draft you for twenty five thousand dollars. And in my case, uh, my options had been used up, and uh, Rather than wait until you get the twenty-five thousand as an owner, uh, they most times would try to make a trade with a club that had interest in you, mm -hmm. and that way they get players in return plus maybe some cash. Okay, so they beat the twenty-five thousand dollar thing. Okay, and so you and that, that's when you got traded to the Senators. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes, and I think Cincinnati got. A couple of players and maybe a hundred grand, something like that. Okay, so that was better than twenty five thousand. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Let's backtrack just. To, I just want to go back to your major league debut. So you were seventeen years old when you had your major league debut. Can you take us back to that day and talk us through? Kind oh of my the... gosh. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody that comes out of high school and seventeen years old and march right straight to the major leagues, they're lying if they don't say that they had butterflies and everything else that goes with it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I uh, I had confidence in what I had, my stuff, my curve, my, my fastball. And uh, I remember uh, I went out and I 
I was so excited and everything that I needed to throw a pitch mm-hmm. and get it over with. And I, I later on in my career, when I got to the Dodgers, I experienced the same thing when I went to my war, first World Series. Yeah. And I'm going to start the third game. I was so bubbling with energy mm-hmm. that all I needed to do is throw a pitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now we settle in and mm-hmm. play the game. Wow, that's amazing. So is that was that your first time away from home when you were 17? I mean, did you? Did you yes. Okay. Uh, yes. I mean, I, I remember going to college at that age, and it's, it's a scary proposition, but I can't mm-hmm. imagine that. You know, you already started your career at that point and how and, and you're in and you're in a locker room with 35 year old men or 30 year old men that that have been doing it a long time and are smoking and drinking and carousing or whatever they're doing. But it's it's uh, I would think it'd be a real eye opener for a 17 year old kid from Candy Spring. It was unreal. And my my first road trip, I think, was uh, to New York and we traveled by Pullman back then. What's a Pullman? Uh, Pullman is trains. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you have sleepers okay. on the train. And what you would do is uh, the train would pull into the station where you're going to play, like Philadelphia, for instance, or New York. And you could occupy your Pullman until, let's say, 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Then you had to get up and go check into the hotel. <laughs> so that's the way we traveled back then before we started flying. Mm-hmm. And one of the trips... Uh, I'm fresh out of high school and I'm 17 and I was rooming with uh, a fellow Tennessean, Ed Bailey, mm-hmm. who was a longtime major league catcher. And he kind of took me by under his wing and we went down to breakfast one morning in New York and the Cardinals were actually playing uh, in town because New York had two clubs in the Dodgers in and uh, the uh, Giants. Mm-hmm. And so we went down for breakfast and Walker Cooper, who was a star player for the uh, Cardinals, was sitting there and we sat down with him and Ed Bailey started talking to him. And he introduced me as a young phenom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I weighed about 150 pounds at that time. Mm-hmm straight out of high school yeah. and uh, Bailey told him a little bit about me and and uh, Walker Cooper uh, looked up at me and he said, uh, hey, uh, did you say that you're a pitcher? I said, yes, sir. And uh, he said, well, little leaguers are supposed to pitch from 40 <laughs> feet out, not 60. <laughs> and so that was my break in period. Yes. Right. I took a lot of jokes back then. <laughs> so when did you transition? Did you when in your major league debut you didn't come in as a starter? Did you? No. No. When did you transition to a starting position? I think I my first appearance was maybe against the uh Cardinals. Mm-hmm. I was gonna face Stan Musial mm-hmm. and uh some of the teammates had told me, hey, uh, if you have to face Musial, just give him your best up. Hope, pray it stays inside the park. <laughs> <laughs> so I had all the similar jokes everywhere. Uh, 
uh, it was quite an experience at 17. How many pitchers were on the staff at that time? Uh, Eight. Okay. On the starting staff. Okay. But there was only four in the starting rotation at that time. I'm sorry. There was four in the starting rotation at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we did that for, I I did it for 10 years and I loved it. I loved Mm -hmm. every minute of it. Uh, A lot of clubs had gone to five and they they were uh, wrong in thinking that we couldn't last doing that. We just laughed at them Mm -hmm. because I had four pretty good teammates, uh, Drysdale, Colfax, and myself, and Don Sutton, Bill Singer. Mm-hmm. Right, we had a pretty good staff. It's pretty good. I, I think there there are a lot of teams that want that staff right now. <laughs> what um, so you, uh, you you were kind of known as a workhorse pitcher. You know, you get out there and, and just chew up innings. And uh, I saw you were seventy seventh all time in innings pitched, which I don't think you'll be passed uh, by anybody just because it seems like the expectation these days is, um, you know, kind of a good outing is is five innings, six innings, um, and then they go to the the bullpen. What, what was the expectation that y'all did, did they I mean you threw a lot of complete games in your career and, mm-hmm. and it's I mean I think relatively rare to see complete games these days oh yeah uh, it's just amazing to me how the how the games changed um what was it considered a good outing for you guys well uh I averaged seven innings per start mm-hmm. my entire career that's amazing and mm-hmm. it's amazing it I think I had 400 and 88 starts, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. like that. But, uh, and 40 career shutouts. Yeah. And I had 140 complete games. Wow. That's incredible. Which, uh, you look at today and you say, where, where in the world did that go? Uh, obviously, a lot of changes now. But, uh, the difference, I think, in, in today and our era is that, the game is still played where you have to catch it, you have mm-hmm. to throw it, you have to hit it, mm-hmm. and you have to pitch it. Right. Mm-hmm. Nothing's changed there. It's just the way that they do it and the importance of of where they place the priorities now. Uh, based on balls, which was a sin when I played, mm-hmm. uh, you just didn't walk people because it's like giving up another single. Mm-hmm. Uh, now nobody even makes a comment about it. Uh, one of the rules that uh, if you got two strikes, no balls on the hitter. If you end up walking him, you're gonna you were gonna catch something from somebody. Sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of those things uh, uh, in the end would lead up to wins or losses, mm-hmm. and most of the time, if you but I call it breaking the law of pitching. Mm-hmm. You do that many times in our era, you're going to lose a lot of games mm-hmm. because we were in, especially at Los Angeles, we were in an extra inning game every night. And it wasn't until uh, the Dodger group, uh, Russell, Lopes, Say, Garvey, Buckner, mm-hmm. they all came at the same time. So they were right at the end they came at the beginning of their careers. It was like the latter part of mine. Mm-hmm. I got to play with a few of them, but uh, 
that's a rarity to have that many stars come out of one organization at the same time. That's right. And mm -hmm. so uh, uh, we had a, a premium on, uh, on going for com complete games. Mm -hmm. uh, defensively, if you could pull off a, uh, a play where, uh, like Walter Austin was our manager in Los Angeles, and he was a stickler for pitchers bunning, mm -hmm. sacrificing the hitters over. Mm -hmm. And uh, with me, I was a pretty good hitter, and he used to hit and run it with me all the time. And there was one play where, uh, where if you had a man on third base, and uh, he would put the bunt on, and if you could bunt that ball down the third baseline, and the runner at third follows the third baseman in fielding the bunt, mm -hmm. and he, the play goes to first base. They get the out, but he walks in and scores. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you could pull that off, he would buy you a new suit of clothes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I'm fascinated by how, I mean, there's a lot of similarities between golf and baseball. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, yes, there is. just mechanics and, and that, but also kind of the trajectory of both games. You know, um, you know, when I was growing up and certainly when Mr. Hogan was playing, it was, you know, you, you, you keep the ball in play and you, and you uh, manage your way around the course. And, and now golf has kind of followed that, I think, baseball model of these saber metrics where they look at the stats and they, and they see strokes gained and versus do we want to, you know, we want to have this guy pitch for 80 pitches and pitch counts and, and what do we want out of a player? You know, it's not so much the five tool guys anymore. It's we want a guy that can bunt guys over and we want, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, when Did you ever hear of a pitch count when you were – Pitching, I mean, was that a thing, or they just kind of look at it and say the game's going well? I don't care if he's throwing 150 pitches; he's going to stay out well, there. So they looked at how you were pitching. Mm -hmm. uh, if you were smooth and hadn't suffered any uh, uh, arm problems, mm -hmm. uh, you're in command of the, the strike zone. Uh, you could throw as many pitches as you wanted, sure. and. Uh, and I believed in that. I still believe in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's changed a lot now. Uh, I think one of the best examples that I can remember that uh, you you sometimes win games by being a pitcher and not not a thrower. Mm -hmm. And when I got traded from Los Angeles to Houston. Uh, Preston Gomez was the manager for the Astros, and he had been our third base coach at Los Angeles. So he knew me very well. He saw me pitch all those games in L.A. And he came to me one day, and I'm going to pitch against Atlanta. And he said, uh, he handed me the lineup card, and he said, I'd like for you to get out in the middle of the room and tell everyone here how you're going to pitch. Mm -hmm. And I had I had never done that, but I was prepared because I always did the same thing every time anyway. Mm -hmm. So uh, several of the pitchers had told me that they, they couldn't beat Atlanta. And I made the remark that I've had pretty good luck with them. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I beat them over 20 times career-wise. 
Wow. So uh, anyway, Preston gave me the lineup card. And so I was always a preparer mm -hmm. where I knew more about the opposition than they knew about themselves. Mm -hmm. I watched batting practice. I never missed a trick when I wasn't pitching. I was sitting on the bench watching. And that's where you pick up weaknesses. You see a pitcher make a pitch in a certain location, and he has trouble getting to it. Mm -hmm. Well, that that goes right up here right in the memory. So anyway, I got up and uh, I w went through the entire lineup, and there were several guys that uh, that I would uh, research their weakness and go inside and let them hit the ball as far as they wanted to foul. I had that go to control. Mm -hmm. It's all predicated on making the pitch that you're trying to do. And so I've got two strikes on them. And now if you can't get them out with two strikes, you're not much of a pitcher. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had my uh, third baseman, who was Doug Rader. Mm -hmm. I had him playing these guys as dead pull hitters right on the line. Bob Watson was my left fielder. And I had him playing like right-handed pull hitters down left field line. Make a long story short, uh, they hit the ball hard off of me, mm -hmm. which I didn't care. But they're making out. That's right. Mm -hmm. And I walk in with a two-to-one victory. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget this. The pitchers, that they would love to have said, well, you lucky dog you. <laughs> but I had told them what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. And I did it. Right. Yeah. And so they couldn't, they couldn't say that. And they were just walking in the clubhouse, shaking their heads in wonderment. <laughs> How in the world did he do that? That's incredible. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, it's it's like you're ahead of your time because I, mm -hmm. you. It reminds me of I used to read these stories about uh, Greg Maddox, and he used to talk about you know he had the master, right? Well, and, and your story reminded me of that, and, and I don't know if you saw a lot of yourself in him or. But just that kind of artistry of pitching rather than, you know, kind of I guess the other side of that is the Randy Johnsons of the world. And, yeah. You know, just blow it by you. But the guys that could I don't care if you put it in play, you're going to hit it where I want you to hit it and you're going to get out or, or I'm going to I'm going to put the ball where I need to put it. And and that's to me that that's what maybe we're losing a little bit in the in the sabermetrics game is is those kind of artists. And, and, uh, and you know, something to this day. I mean, I, I watch baseball all the time. Mm -hmm. I love watching it at home because you can see so so much more Yeah. Uh, with the television and the location of pitches and stuff. I love to watch a master like like uh, uh, Glavin, uh, mm -hmm. Maddox, uh, and uh, I see myself a lot of times in, yeah. in those pitches. Uh, it's interesting as a coach how you – you really get to become a pretty good psychologist as a coach because you're studying makeups. And to me, there's there's two types of pitchers. Uh, you've got the one guy who's trying not to fail. Mm -hmm. And that's strictly defensive. And you've got the guy who is aggressive. When he gets to seven innings, he starts smelling victory, mm -hmm. and he's going to go get it. Mm -hmm. 
as a as a coach, you can pinpoint those guys, hmm. and you have to learn how to try and make the negative guy better. Mm-hmm. So that's why I I think I had an edge in doing that as a pitching coach. Mm-hmm. So do do you think you were you, were you born more of the positive guy, or did you learn that? And can you turn the negative guy into the positive guy? Very interesting. I was going along in the early part of my career with the Dodgers, and I was pitching what I thought was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I'm coming up with numbers like uh, I'm, I'm winning uh, 16 games in 17, 20 19, twice, yeah. and uh, I'm losing a lot of games also. Now, we didn't have a lot of offense back then, mm-hmm. but that would account for some of it. But I'm turning in ERAs of uh, 264, 279 for 300 innings. Oh, that's incredible. And so forth. And I would go home every night, uh, especially after after losing, and I would replay the game late at night. My family always went to the games, and they were gone to bed you can't run down for hours. So I'd replay the game mm-hmm. in my mind. And I finally, I was just so disappointed that I, instead of being 16 and 14, I thought I should have been 16 and six. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really bothered me. And I had a lot of time to sit and think, and well, how, how can I change this? Mm-hmm. And I decided that, there was too much negative negativism going on up here. Mm-hmm. And particularly when you're out on the mound. And so I made a pact with myself that one night that from this day forward, I'm going to replace a negative with a positive wherever it happens and whatever I have to do. Guy makes an error behind me. I would call time, call him into the mound. Hey, don't worry about it. I'm putting it on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick you up. Yeah. And there's several instances where, uh, like, a, a guy hits the ball hard off of you. It's a double. You can't run the negatives out. They're going to come. Sure. But you can replace them. Mm-hmm. And so whatever would happen negatively, I changed it. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it was amazing. Uh, I would, before that, I would be going along and I wouldn't have any runs. The score, the score would be nothing, nothing in the fifth. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, now things started to change. I would find myself with a three-run lead, <laughs> four runs, mm-hmm. so forth. And I always thought, man, if I've got a one-nothing lead, they got to get two runs off of me before I lose. Mm-hmm. I don't think they can do it. <laughs> and so that was my train of thought as the game goes on. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, in the game that you're pitching, the reason I think you have so many complete games back then is that you played the game that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever you had to do, if the score is five, you're down five to nothing or five to four, 
you're going to have games like that. Mm -hmm. And if you can win those six to five, right? That's like a that's like a gift. Absolutely. Well, you know, and, and another parallel to golf. Sometimes you have to win with your C game, right? You get you, you roll out there, and that's what you have that day, and and you got to deal with it. And I think that's interesting how you've, you know, um, you learn that kind of on the job. And that, yes. That, that's um, yes. That, that I think that makes it for a stronger mind than, than maybe learn it out of a book or somebody telling you how to do that. Well, and and also not having uh, a lot of offense at that time, mm -hmm. it made us all sure. much better pitchers. Yeah. So, uh, Just, I don't I mean, know, it's, 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 uh, you still, I mean, talking about your time at the Dodgers, out of 196 games, you won 147. So it's a high percentage of victories with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, and then, I mean, you had an 18-season um, major league career. That's a long, long major league career. I mean, nowadays you don't see that, <laughs> hardly. Um, and just to go over it again, you played for the Reds, the Senators, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Cardinals, and the White Sox. But before we run out of time, we definitely want to talk about your World Series game with the Dodgers, um, the third game. And we would love to start from the very beginning of that day. Or if you want to start at the beginning of the series and just talk us through everything that happened. Well, first of all, it was my first World Series. And mm -hmm. of course, it goes back to when I was notified of the trade. Mm -hmm. uh, the first thing I thought of is I was joining a fantastic starting staff sure Colfax Drysdale and the rest of them and were they welcoming to you when you got there oh yeah okay yeah in fact the reporters met me at the airport when I flew in and uh I think I was making uh maybe 15,000 at that time <laughs> mm -hmm. was it quite intimidating coming from the senators into the Dodgers lineup for you was it what intimidating or was, was, did did you was it it's a big step going from the senators to the dodgers well, what was yeah, that transition I, I, I considered a big step i had won 15 games for washington last place mm -hmm. club mm -hmm. and that's what got me to la i think mm -hmm. plus my high school coach in those days the dodgers had everything on me oh mm -hmm. so anyway uh it, it was amazing. Uh, I went, well, always ate steak every time I pitched. <laughs> and uh, I had to do it early because mm -hmm. it was a day game. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the day before I'm going to pitch, I had a routine where uh, my wife, she knew this, that don't be asking me to do these odd things. Mm -hmm. This is my day. I'm preparing. I'm playing the game in my mind. I'm going through the hitters. Mm -hmm. I know what this guy has done against me the, the previous time and so on and so on. So that's the way you prepare. And by the time you get to your start, uh, you're bubbling with energy. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I got to the ballpark and I... Uh, did my routine stuff, but I don't even remember doing it <laughs> because this is 
everything is a first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I started realizing really how big this was, and particularly since we'd lost the first two games. Uh, Drysdale lost the first game because he started the first game because Sandy was celebrating Yom Kippur. Oh, that's right. Mm. And then Sandy comes along, and in all fairness to them, we, we didn't play good defense behind them. Mm -hmm. And so we lost both those games. And it just so happened that I was undefeated against Minnesota mm -hmm. in the American League mm -hmm. with Washington. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think I was 6-0 and oh against them. Yep. And so I knew every one of them anyway. I didn't have to go for a scouting report. Mm -hmm. And we did have to go and sit down and talk about them because the scouts had sent all the information. There were two or three of them that I disagreed with 100% because I knew them better <laughs> than they knew them. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I uh, said, well, I'm going to do it my way. And so it worked out. But uh, I remember when I went to the bullpen, uh, I warmed up and I don't remember how many pitches I threw. I just used all of them, fastball, curveball, slider, changeup. Mm -hmm. And I just needed to get out and throw a pitch to get all of this Energy. out of here. And so I started the game and that happened. And I actually, I look back on it, it's probably lucky that it happened. Zola Versailles was their shortstop and he had he had uh, been most valuable player that year in the American League. And he hit the first pitch I threw in the left field seats for a ground rule double. <laughs> and they moved him over to third base with one out and somehow they got they got some signs mixed up uh, somebody missed a sign on their part and we uh, we trapped Versailles off a third he, the key to the game was in the first inning because mm -hmm. I go on throw a shutout right wow so you never know when this play might win the game mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that always taught me something about pitching. If you get this guy out right here, this may be the game winner. Wow, that's mm -hmm. interesting. And it's it's always present when you're out there on the mound. You have to know what the score is and what inning you're pitching in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you may win the game right there. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you talked about earlier about the, the guys that are unafraid to make those mistakes and and the guys that once they make them, it's, it's you know, they get in that negative mindset. Uh, um, you sound like that probably from your experience, when, when he hits a ground rule double off you, if you'd gone the other way on that and said, oh, no, here we go, they're all going to hit me hard today, it could have gone terribly wrong. But I think people that are probably in touch with how they approach the game and sound like you, you had a very mental kind of artistic approach to it. You, when, when you get that, that all that pressure, you've got, you know, two of the great all time greats uh, that are, that lose their games in front of you. You're down Oh two in a series. Mm -hmm. I assume you're on the road in Minnesota. Is that where you were? Mm -hmm. You're on the road in Minnesota. 
and they lead off hitter hits a ground or a double, some people that's the end of the series for them. You know, that, that's it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, for, for somebody, to, I mean, the, the story of that is you come back and you, you throw a, a complete game shutout and you guys go on to win the World Series. Mm-hmm. Um, says a lot about probably your, the locker room and, and the support yeah. that you guys had. And, and But it says a lot about you as far as your approach to the game and how you were able to come back from that. And, and circumstances are out of your control it's on your shoulder still. Uh, it's really remarkable. Um, how do you, how do you see that? How, how, when you were a pitching coach, how did you try to bring all that life experience into, into a pitcher that you're coaching and, and, and show him how to, how to achieve that? You know, it's, it's interesting because uh, I once wanted to look into uh, as a pitching coach, being able to talk to my pitcher, especially a young pitcher, while the game is going on. And I even went as far as uh, trying to find what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. Uh, In New York, you can find anything (laughs) if if you spend enough time (laughs) to it. And just about the time that I found out what I could do, I found also how it was illegal. (laughs) And so I I stopped that. But uh, in football, they do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, constantly talking to the quarterback. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't see why you couldn't benefit a young pitcher in in that. But uh, it's amazing. Uh, I always taught pitchers or tried to teach them that hey, uh, know where you are in the game. I mean, what is the situation? What do I need right now? And it's always a different answer because if if you're just out there, uh, you don't know what counts mm-hmm. are, you don't uh, pay any attention to who you're walking, who's coming up next, mm-hmm. uh, Work the lineup card. There's somebody there that you can get out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so that makes you a good picture. And, you know, to this day, I love sitting down and watching. I could spot a guy if he's doing it. I might be doing something else around the house. And all of a sudden, I see a guy that looks at me like he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I stop and watch mm-hmm. because... Yeah. I think that's missing in the game today. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I, I think it's, it's, it's that, and that, that along with that is kind of the issue of the perseverance of, of being able to fight through those tough times because it's, it's, um, you know, we have, a, it seems like in golf or in baseball, you have a lot of guys out there that have been so focused in on um, things that can control numbers and, and this and that, but then Spend, when, when yeah. things get outside of their control, um, maybe they, they they lose perspective a little bit. Like you say, they lose control yeah. of where they are in the game. It's and things turned, go a little fast. Yeah, it's turned into such a power game, too. It's all you about... Know, you know, uh, baseball's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. And there's changes happening all the time. Mm-hmm. And we've done some horrible things to the game. Mm-hmm. And the game... Pro- the, the game heals itself. Mm-hmm. It may be something that stays here for a little while, but eventually it heals itself to bring back the popularity of the game. Mm -hmm. And 
I firmly believe that today's game, uh, I marvel at how good the athletes are. Hitting has become a, a science mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, pitching is all strength and velocity. Mm -hmm. yeah. And base on balls are down the line yeah, but away from all this. Kept them in the park at least, right? So, yeah. yeah. And so uh, little by little, I think the game will keep changing mm -hmm. and maybe not come back to the way it was in our era, but uh, more presentable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they've kind of uh, contradicted themselves as far as they want the game to be faster, and yet they've created situations where you cannot play a baseball game in under three hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you want more offense, which they've got now, it's all about the home run. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, baseball and balls mean nothing, but it does mean something. It means the game's going to be longer. That's right. Yeah. Well, I remember that's one reason why I probably loved Maddox and Glavin as a kid is because uh, when they play night games, I, I be, would be able, be able to talk my mom and let me stay up and watch it on TBS because it was going to be over in two hours because they, they were going to throw 80 pitches and be done with it. And, and it was going to be a two to one game and that was going to be it. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's not that way anymore. I can't take my kid to the Rangers games because they're going to go till 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night now. Yeah. So yeah. What, yeah. What, what, what player did you or what hitter did you most fear? Did you fear, I don't know if you feared anybody, but who, who came up and really gave you fits? Well, there were uh, several, <laughs> uh, and and that in itself creates a uh, desire. Well, I'm going to get this guy. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I had trouble with Orlando Cepeda. Uh, not so much that he was that great a hitter. He, he was a good hitter, but he seemed to know everywhere I was going to throw the ball. And to this day, I don't know whether he was getting the pitches from me, getting location from somebody, maybe, <laughs> maybe the catcher. Mm -hmm. But I would get to right here. And if I'm going to come inside, he's moving back already. Mm -hmm. Wow. It was like he, he knew wow. what I was going to throw and where. And then you have guys that you just cannot make a good pitch on. Mm -hmm. Bobby Richardson with the Yankees. Mm -hmm. He's dead highball hitter and, and a great highball hitter and I gave him that pitch to hit his entire career mm -hmm. uh, you have guys like that guys they own and I there's a lot of no-name players so to speak that I had trouble with uh, Detroit had a third baseman named Don worked I couldn't get him out <laughs> mm -hmm. and yet you turn the table and you've got guys that have a name that you get out all the time. Sure. Right. What what uh, what pitchers or what players do you admire now that you look at? And, and you mentioned you, sometimes you see them and you look on TV. Are there any that, that, that really are must watch for you besides Teddy over here? <laughs> <laughs> well, not so much the name, but uh, the type of pitcher that he is. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to watch those guys, and and yet I like to see amazing fastballs. Mm -hmm. Guy that's got command of it and stuff. 
I used to like to watch Roger Clemens pitch. Whitey Ford was one of my idols. Warren Spahn was another. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried to pattern myself after those guys in the way that they pitch. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you admire a guy like Mariano Rivera with it? Just basically has one pitch, and but he does it oh, well. So amazing. Yeah. Uh, when I was coaching uh, at Rochester, I believe we went into Columbus to play. The Triple A club, which was the Yankees, mm-hmm. almost the entire Yankee club was there. Mm-hmm. Jeter, wow, Mariano Rivera, Posada, mm-hmm. uh, Pettit, probably Pettit, mm-hmm. yes, the, almost a whole Yankee team. And I can spot a hitter that I really like a when I see a guy that puts a good at bat on the pitcher mm-hmm. every single time. Mm-hmm. That was Jeter. Mm-hmm. I saw him and I said, this is the best player in our league. Wow. Right then, Bernie Williams was there. Huh. Uh, and and so you like to see players like that and they're easy to predict that, hey, you're going to see this guy mm-hmm. soon at the top. Yeah. Do you, um, so you, you, Played in both leagues. Um, do you, what, what's your thought on the DH? We're going to change baseball today. We're going to make. I didn't like it at all. Okay. Cause Cause I mean, you, I, you mentioned you're a good hitter. So I was a good hitter, and I remember when my last year I was at Chicago. Chuck Tanner was the manager, and I would go out and pitch, and come back in and had nothing to say about my offensive destiny. Mm-hmm. It just bothered the heck out of me. Yeah. Because I could out hit maybe somebody that's going up to DH. And uh, I like to have some input as to my success or failure. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I, that's why Every club I played on, the manager used to hit and run with me because I could hit the ball. Mm-hmm. They could depend on you moving the runner. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't like it at all, but it's added uh, a career for sure. one more player, right? One more player. Mm-hmm. So in your coaching career, you um, coached four pitchers that got the Scion uh, Pitching Award. What was what do you think is the biggest difference between pitchers that you worked with that did get those awards and pitchers that didn't? Well, there's a story with each and every one of them. Uh, Tell us your favorite. I had one. Steve Carlton. I think he won it twice, and of course he was a great pitcher already, and mm-hmm. he had just a few things he wanted me to watch and make sure that he did. And in his case, uh, sometimes he would. Uh, depending on what kind of mound he was pitching off of, would cause him to to not get his hands all the way back. What that do you mean? One, that was what one of the of... things that he wanted me to watch, make sure I take my hands back. And okay. what he meant by that is the shoulder closes, and now you don't have a problem with opening up too quick. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so he had that, and... Uh, he was very coachable, good guy. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, John Denny, 
Mm -hmm. uh, John Denny was a pitcher that I was on the Cardinals with at near the end of my career. Mm -hmm. And he was up and coming. And uh, he was uh, a different dude mm -hmm. out there on the mound and in person. Mm -hmm. Things would get to him real thing. He, he, uh, he'd get out of control. You mean he's emotionally? Gonna, he's going to, emotionally, okay. he's going to kill somebody <laughs> or, or kill the manager. That must be a hard person or, to or coach. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, he became a pretty good pitcher mm -hmm. early on with the Cardinals. And uh, Paul Owens was uh, the general manager for the Phillies. Mm -hmm. And I was a pitching coach. Mm -hmm. And he called me one day in Pittsburgh and wanted to have lunch. And he said, uh, do you know John Denny? Mm -hmm. I said, like the back of my hand, Pope. <laughs> <laughs> he said, can he pitch? I said, yes. He said, uh, can you handle it? Mm -hmm. I said, I think I can. He said, I'm going to trade for him. Wow. So we got John Denny. Mm -hmm. And so he comes over to Philadelphia and I went to work with him and probably the biggest challenges I had, there were conflict between him and the catcher. Okay. Uh, they didn't agree with each other a lot of times and both of them were hard headed. So I had to kind of repair that first. And then anyway, like as long as we short, I, I got John Denny in in sync, I call it, where all the parts are working as a unit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he just had immaculate control, wow. uh, good movement, good location. And the National League could not get the ball airborne off of him. Wow. He was the best pitcher in the league. Mm -hmm. And up until that time, he had been the kind of pitcher that if he started having a little bit of success, he didn't want any part of it. He wanted to revert back to mediocrity. And so I saw this and I told Paul Owens, I'd like to have his, well, I got his permission. And I said, I want to talk to John Denny. Dave Bristol was one of the coaches for us. And he sat in with me because Denny respected both of us. We both worked out with Gus Heffling, our physical conditioning mm -hmm. expert. Mm -hmm. And so I got in and I told John, I, I praised the heck out of him and I didn't lie. I told him the truth. I said, you've been the best pitcher in the National League. But I said, let me finish what I'm gonna say and you can have the floor. <laughs> and I told him that. I said, you're the best pitcher. I said, now, why can't we keep doing this for the rest of the season? Mm -hmm. And let's see where the dust settles. And I said, I see you trying to head back to doing things that you've done your entire career. And that's revert to mediocrity. It's mm, interesting. And these big eyes started rolling. Yeah. And uh, 
I finished and I gave him the floor and he got up and he didn't have anything to say oh. and he walked out but he did continue to pitch oh, wow. and fantastic yeah. he gets the Cy Young Award in the press conference he told about this meeting oh. and he said it's the first time in my life that I ever listened to what someone had to say. Wow. Do you think that was because you'd been in that fire before and it wasn't just some coach or what connection did you have with him? Well, he respected me. Yeah. Yeah. He knew I had had success. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so he listened. And he also remembered how good it was mm -hmm. yeah. when he was doing what he's doing. Because mm -hmm. I'm not lying. They could not. It was ground ball after ground ball after ground ball. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, you run into a lot of personalities like that. It's a, it's a great lesson in psychology. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had Steve Bedrosian, reliever, mm -hmm. who set an all-time record for consecutive appearances without, without a for saves mm -hmm. without a loss. Wow. Uh, he was going through a period where he could not come into a game without throwing a home run. Mm. And as a closer, that's kind of yeah. death. Right. <laughs> and finally, Pat Corrales was, uh, was our manager. And he turned to me one day and he said, can't you do anything about that? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, I think I can, but you would have to be without him for two or three days. Mm -hmm. So we bad. went down to the bullpen in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And at that time, the reason Bedrosian was getting hit was he was making bad pitches. Mm -hmm. He had mm -hmm. great stuff, but he had arms, legs, head going in 12 different directions. So it was mechanical, not a so, pitcher, catcher. It was mechanical. So there was no, no command mm -hmm. of the windup. Mm -hmm. And so we went down there and we started from the very beginning, placing your foot on the rubber. Mm -hmm. And what's the first move you're going to make? And I tried to emphasize that, that all the moves we're going to end up making, don't make the second one or the third one without being in command of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we improved his delivery where we got him where now when he gets to the point of driving toward the hitter and release, he had control of the body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's when he went on and set the record. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And he went society over. So that was the fourth one. He won mm -hmm. as a reliever? He was a reliever. Wow. That's rare to win one as a reliever, right? Well, but, I, I think we're almost out of time. Yeah, I did, I did want to ask you one question that's more of an internal question because it's going to solve a bet in my house. What, what do you think as a, as a career baseball man, what's the greatest baseball movie ever made? Oh, boy. I'll, I'll tell you what the, the way the vote goes in my house after you tell me your answer. So okay. you, I want to influence your vote here. <laughs> I like the one about... Uh, Lou Gehrig mm -hmm. 
That's a good one, yeah. I don't know what the name of it was, but it's so long ago. Can we do some Googling? I remember, I remember seeing that one as a kid. You know, my, my wife is a big um, Field of Dreams fan, which I, I appreciate. Um, but I'm a kid, so I like the Sandlot, but that's just me. What's, uh, uh, what's the favorite <laughs> in your household? Well, my, my son, um, he loves uh, The Natural. Um, that was a good one. A good one. Um, but when I tell him that the book is different than the, the movie, he, he loses interest in me telling him about the book. He wants to watch, watch the movie. Yeah. My wife likes Field of Dreams a lot, uh, but that may be a Costner thing, not not a baseball thing. I don't know. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, the film you're talking about is called The Pride of the Yankees. Yeah. 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 He, as a Dodger, that, that's big that you, you yeah. come out with The Pride of the Yankees. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate your time. It was really fascinating to talk to you. We could talk oh, to you all It's time. always Thank great to talk much. baseball. Yeah. Well, it's it's a talking sport, right? Yes. yes. Well, uh, and congrats on everything, and uh, and thanks for your time. Yeah, thank, thank you. you for your My time. pleasure. In the meantime.